Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst. I'll be your host for the next hour here on WFMU Freeform Station of the Nation out of downtown Jersey City in the great state of New Jersey. Thanks for being with me. I'm glad to be here. This, I'll say it again at the end of the show, this is going to be my last show uh, for a couple of weeks. I have two weeks off coming up for spring break. You're going to have, uh, next week you're going to have Roger from Double Dip Recess, guest hosting, and then the week after that's going to be Station Manager Ken. So I should be back in three weeks. But I'm really happy to be here this evening uh, to share with you a particularly important story that is told in the book that we're featuring in the interview and uh, co-written by our guest tonight. The book is called Pegasus, How a Spy in Your Pocket Threatens the End of Privacy, Dignity, and Democracy. It was written by two authors, Laurent Richard and Sandrine Rigaud, based in Paris. These are both journalists based in Paris. They work, uh, they run an organization called Forbidden Stories. And there's a link on the playlist to the book and to Forbidden Stories, which you can find by going to the playlist at wfmu.org. Uh, click and by clicking playlist and comments or in the future if you're listening to a podcast or an archive go to tectonic.fm t-e-c-h tonic.fm and find the march 27 2023 show and click the playlist link and you'll see you'll see the playlist over over here at wfmu.org this book called pegasus tells a story about spyware uh, with the name of pegasus and how it was uh, detected and proven to be uh, misused. And, and all of this was done by a small team at Forbidden Stories in Paris with some help uh, from Citizen Lab, which is at University of Toronto, and Amnesty International. Uh, a, couple of, uh, a couple of researchers at Amnesty International were central to the effort as well. So I'm going to play this interview with, uh, with Sandrine Rigaud, who's editor-in-chief uh, at Forbidden Stories and uh, co-author of Pegasus. But, but first, let me just give you my own uh, imperfect, but I hope informative pitch on this, on this book and this story. I say imperfect because Sandrine is going to explain it so much better, <laughs> but but just to give you a little bit of context, I have mentioned Pegasus a few times in past shows over the, the last probably three years. It comes up here and there. This is a, a smartphone spyware software that is made by a company called NSO Group, in, which is based in Israel. And yes, it's called NSO, which sounds a lot like NSA, the National Security Agency here in, in the U.S., but uh, there's, the NS, NSO has nothing to do with NSA. It's just a similarity of name. But I think one of the reasons they chose it might have been because it sounds just a little bit like NSA and, and grants them that air of legitimacy. Anyway, this, this uh, cyber spyware firm, software firm called NSO Group, made this, this package called, this software called Pegasus. And the idea behind Pegasus is that if you buy Pegasus, and they claim only to sell to governments, if you are a government and you buy Pegasus, you then deploy it, and we're going to get into how they deploy it, but they de deploy it on Target's smartphones. Okay, so if you're in the government uh, monitoring Pegasus, you're then infecting the phone of some target. And they claim, NSO group claims, oh, this is only used against criminals, terrorists, and pedophiles, which, by the way, is always the same three categories that companies always give when they're, when they're doing really creepy surveillance. They say, don't, don't worry, it's only the bad guys we're after, criminals, terrorists, and pedophiles. It's always those three. And so NSO Group, of course, always repeats that. The, the Pegasus is only deployed against the bad guys, never against anyone good. We're going to get to who it was actually deployed against. But 
the, uh, the, if you have infected a target's smartphone with Pegasus, this is important to know going in <laughs> to this conversation, you have access to everything on the phone. You have access to all the emails, all the photos, all the texts, all the files, all the apps, even the encrypted communications that people may have been using Signal or Telegram. Oh, they'll never get it, get at this. This is encrypted. Not for Pegasus. Anybody who's, who infects your phone with Pegasus has access to all of that. And just if, if that wasn't scary enough, whoever is using Pegasus has access to the camera and the microphone, even if they're not in use. So as the person walks around in their day-to-day -day life or at home in the evening, in the middle of the night, whatever, whoever has infected the phone with Pegasus can listen in to what is happening within earshot of the microphone on that phone. And if the phone's camera, front-facing or back-facing, happens to be uh, uncovered, they can see what the camera sees in real time. And this is all without any knowledge of the user that their phone has been infected by Pegasus. So, a pretty scary piece of spyware. And uh, forbidden stories, here, here is Laurent and Sandrine, a journalist doing excellent work in Paris at Forbidden Stories. You're going to hear about it. It picks up on, on stories that have been dropped due to the journalist either being imprisoned or killed. This group of journalists picks up the story because it's, it's truth that needs to be told. So here they are doing uh, other work, not related to, uh, initially to cybersecurity, cyber, cyber spyware. And they get contacted by an anonymous source a few years ago who says, I have a list of phone numbers of phones that have been targeted, or, and uh, uh, this is not the exact wording. You'll have to read the book or, or listen to what Sandrine says. But they, they, basically, they get contacted by an anonymous source who, in, in some way or another, indicates that they have a list of phone numbers of smartphones that have been at least targeted, maybe infected, with Pegasus. And let me just stop there. If you get contacted by an anonymous source that says, I have a list of phone numbers of phones targeted, maybe infected with spyware, and indicating maybe these are people that you want to check on who's, who's being infected, what's a bad scenario for you? You know, how many, how many numbers does it have to be for it to be bad? Like 100. Imagine if there are 100 good people around the world who've been uh, infected by the spyware and are being spied on by who knows whom. Maybe it's 100. Maybe it's, what, 500. Maybe it's 1,000 people around the world. The sad punchline to this, friends, is that the anonymous source got in touch with Forbidden Stories to say, I have a list of 50,000 phone numbers of people around the world who've been targeted to be infected by Pegasus. 50,000 phone numbers. And that's basically where this book begins. I mean, there, there's, a, there's an intro by Rachel Maddow that, that, that lays this out. And, uh, and, and Laurent and Sandrine tell, tell the story early on about how they got contacted by the anonymous source. But then the story goes from there because if you have this list, what do you do? What do you do? How do you identify who the people are, uh, what, whether they've actually been infected? And then crucially, how do you prove? How do you prove that some of the most advanced, sophisticated spyware in the world has actually infected a phone when it operates silently. How do you do that? And then how do you prove it to other journalists so that they'd be willing to write stories exposing what's happening? Uh, it seems like a monumental, even impossible task for a small team with some, with some partners. And uh, that's the setup to Pegasus. It's a fascinating book. Uh, again, written by Laurent Richard and Sandrine Rigaud. There's a link to it on the playlist at WFMU.org. I was very happy to speak with Sandrine Rigaud to get the whole story as much as we could fit into this interview. And it goes places, friends. So I hope you will stay tuned. This is an important story, as I said at the top of the show. 
Uh, if you'd like to join in the live listener chat, go to WFMU.org, click playlists and comments. And uh, here, let's listen to my interview with Sandrine Rigaud here on Tectonic on WFMU. Sandrine Rigaud, welcome to Tectonic. Thank you for the invitation. Sandrine, you're a journalist and co-author of a new book called Pegasus, written with Laurent Richard. This book tells the story of how you and a team of researchers and journalists discovered and then broke the story of how a malware system called Pegasus was being used to spy on the smartphones of journalists, human rights activists, and even heads of state around the world. We're going to get to that story, but first I think it's important to establish how you, Sandrine, came to be involved. You're based in Paris, and for several years you've been working with a project called Forbidden Stories. Can you tell us what Forbidden Stories does, maybe a bit about the cartel project you were working on just before the Pegasus project got started? Yes, of course. So I started working for uh, Forbidden Stories in 2019. Before that, I was an investigative journalist and a filmmaker uh, for French TV. So Laurent Richard wanted me to be editor-in-chief of this amazing consortium he launched, and which mission is to pursue the work of journalists who are threatened, jailed, or killed everywhere in the world. So the idea behind that is to say, if you're killing a journalist is, is because you want to kill his story. You want to censor him or her. What's the point in killing a journalist if you have a group of 10, 20, 30, or 50 journalists coming to pursue his work and make it available for a very large audience. There is no point in doing that. So this is really at the heart of the mission. So Forbidden Stories is that nonprofit based in Paris with the French journalist, but it works as a consortium. So we are collaborating with journalists from the Washington Post, The Guardian, Le Monde in France, El País in Spain, major outlets and very small ones as well. And so it's, it's a very wide group. When I arrived at Forbidden Stories in 2019, my first mission, my first investigation was uh, about uh, Mexican cartels because Mexico is the deadliest country for journalists in the world. I mean, it's, it's incredible to, to realize that uh, even for an American audience, I mean, people in the, in the States goes to Mexico for, um, uh, for beaches, for parties, uh, and, and, and they might not know that, uh, uh, yeah, it's incredibly dangerous to do your job of journalist in Mexico uh, around between 10 and 15 journalists are killed every, every year uh, in, in Mexico. And so I had to coordinate that, that uh, investigation to pursue the work of Mexican journalists who had been uh, killed. And uh, I, I was very interested in the case of Javier Valdez. Javier Valdez uh, was a famous uh, journalist who was also collaborating with many foreign journalists. And he was killed in 2017. And after his killing, surprisingly, his wife and his colleagues started receiving very weird messages. Uh, messages about, yeah, information on Javier Valdez, on his investigation, things you, you, you have to click on. Meaning they were receiving messages in the form of text messages on their smartphones. Yeah, exactly. They were receiving messages on their smartphone that seemed important and, and weird in the same time with links to click on. So they, they were a bit surprised and they tried to, before clicking on, on those messages, they had heard about uh, weird spywares. And so they went to Citizen Lab. Citizen Lab is a research center in, in Toronto that analyzes your phone and, and it specializes in finding spywares in their phone. And they went to Citizen Lab. Surprisingly, Citizen Lab find traces of Pegasus in their phone. And it was the first time almost I heard of Pegasus. Pegasus, at that time, I discovered is a very invisible, dangerous, uh, invasive spyware that can get in your phone and extract everything from your phone. And officially, Pegasus was only sold to governments or uh, governmental agencies. So that was very suspicious for a journalist to see that people close to a journalist who had just been killed were hacked 
and, and why a government would do that. So we started investigating on Pegasus and this is how we ended up with a leaked list of 50,000 phone numbers. That's a great introduction to Forbidden Stories and the cartel project. And a couple of things I want to point out that I took away from this part of the book as you're introducing you and Laurent are introducing your backgrounds is the high stakes nature of this work. As you say, Forbidden Stories is picking up stories from journalists who have been killed in many cases or imprisoned. You and your collaborative team are all stepping in to pick up the story and extend it and hopefully complete it. So right away, you see that you and your team are venturing into dangerous territory. You are showing great courage and you're showing great persistence and you're showing a commitment to collaboration, which often in commercial journalism is not the case where people are running to try to get the scoop on someone else. You're working with a team that knows from the very beginning, we're going to share our sources, we're going to share our leads, share our understanding, and no one is going to go out and try to take credit for this. All of these aspects of the high stakes nature and the courage, the persistence, the collaboration, all of that you had to draw on even more as you went into the Pegasus project, uh, because the stakes were, if possible, even higher than taking on potentially an angry government in Mexico, um, there, <laughs> it was a much, much more daunting project in, in my read of this. So let's talk about the switch from Cartel Project to your new focus, the Pegasus Project. Forbidden Stories gets contacted by an anonymous source who remains anonymous. You have never revealed who it was, and you're never going to reveal who it was. So an anonymous source reaches out and says, this is a list that you might be interested in. And it was just a list of phone numbers. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, after this investigation on the cartel project, we started working on, on Pegasus. And this is how we ended up a day, one day, with that huge list of 50,000 phone numbers, only phone numbers, as you say, no names attached to it. And what we knew was that that was a list of phone numbers who had been selected for potential targeting with Pegasus. That is how we define the list. You said this before, but I just want to underline this for, for the listeners. if Because I've mentioned Pegasus on past shows, but let me just say this again. Pegasus is a spyware, it's spyware software that targets mobile phones, smartphones. So that is iOS phones and Android phones. Exactly. It's made by NSO Group, which is or perhaps was, we'll get to that, a cyber surveillance, cyber weapons company based in Israel. When a phone gets infected with Pegasus, the people on the other side who are monitoring that phone then have access to everything. And I mean everything, all the photos, all the emails, all of the potentially encrypted communications and apps like Signal can be broken and they have real-time access to the camera and to the microphone. So as the person is just walking around with the phone, not doing anything with it, people who are spying on them via Pegasus are listening in, can be listening in, and even watching as they're seeing whatever the cameras are seeing. So it's, a, it's an incredible level of access that the spyware gets on these phones. And you were contacted with a list of 50,000 phone numbers, 50,000 people around the world whose phones, as you say at the beginning, you didn't know if they already had been infected, which you, you got to, but you knew it at first, at least, at, le at the very least, they had been targeted for infection. Yeah, at least they had been selected for targeting. This is what we, know, what we knew about the numbers. And, but we had everything to do. I mean, this was just the beginning of an investigation. We didn't even know who was behind the numbers. We, we were totally blind in that. And so the first thing, the first, our first task was to try to find out who was behind every number. And it took us a while. It took us a month. And we couldn't have done it without the help of the amazing team of Amnesty International Security, uh, Security Lab. But the, one of the first 
thing we did, and it was a very uh, basic, pragmatic <laughs> way to find out who was in that list, was to cross-check our own contact lists, the, 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 phones, the phone numbers we had in our own smartphone with that list of 50,000 phone numbers. Because you already had sources who are human rights activists and attorneys and journalists who you've been working with for Forbidden Stories. Yeah, but we, we even didn't know what we were going to find in that list. But you have to start somewhere. So you have to, at some point, try to find out who, who, who is behind the numbers. And I mean, the chances that we find some of our contacts in, in that list were for us uh, very limited. We even didn't think that our contacts could have been spied on with Pegasus. But the thing is, when we started to do this cross-check, we find some of our own contacts, so Laurent Richard mm. and, and myself did that, we find that people we were in contact with, journalists who we were discussing, investigating with, were on that list. And so this is when it started to be really very worrying for us. I mean, it, it became real suddenly because I mentioned to you the cartel project, but on the cartel project, we were working with a journalist, very famous journalist called Jorge Carrasco, who is the director of Proceso, an investigative outlet in Mexico. And he was our Mexican partner for a very dangerous investigation. And at some point, when I cross-checked my contact list with that list, I discovered the number of Jorge Carrasco in the list of potential NSO targets. So this became very real. This became very frightening because at some point you, you try to, to understand what could have happened. What, were your conversation listened to? Were your message uh, uh, spied on? Was this investigation at some point, yeah, exposed because, uh, because your partner might have been spied on with Pegasus? And how? I mean, the first question is, how do you tell him that he might be spied on if he <laughs> do you use your phone for that i mean this was the this was one of the most right. tricky questions we had we answer because how alert somebody who you're not living with uh, in, in in a period of covid that his phone might be spied on you cannot use the phone for that so you have to be very creative we had to contact a colleague of him try to find out a secure way to communicate let him know that the phone of Jorge might have been spied on, but without telling him everything, because you don't want your story to be leaked, you don't want to expose those people. So you have to tell parts of the story, not all the story, and then convince Jorge that he has to he, he needs to stop discussing sensitive topic on his phone, but you cannot tell him why until you haven't seen him. So we had to send a journalist from our team, Paloma Dupont, and Paloma, who had been already working in Mexico, had to meet Jorge, to convince him to leave his phone in a different room and then to have his phone analyzed. So, I mean, imagine the process it takes for just one target. Right. And, and we had this list of 50,000 phone numbers. So, I mean, the investigation, yeah, the scope of the investigation was, was, was really huge. And we needed that group. You, you, were you were mentioning collaboration, but we needed a group of journalists to help us work on that. Of course, otherwise you, you cannot do the work. That's right. And this is how I described the setup to a friend as I was telling them about the book. I said, they dive into this list of 50,000 phone numbers. They start discovering some of their own contacts, colleagues, sources in this list. And then they realize the global nature of this spyware. It's being used by governments all over the world. And some of these governments... I mean, you already had experience with the Mexican government or at least had done research into what had happened to other journalists at the hands of the Mexican government. And you look at this and you say, there's the Mexican government and so many other governments around the world that we are going, potentially, we're going to be angering these authoritarian governments around the world. And you have NSO Group that's making the spyware that has no incentive to tell the truth about what's actually happening with their product. And they have some of the best trained, best paid spyware engineers in the world. And here's this group of very earnest, honest, persistent journalists in Paris and your partners at Citizen Lab in Toronto. And you have these two researchers 
who turn out to be heroes along with you and Laurent and the others. Claudio and I never figured out how to say his first name. Donka. Donka? Donka. Okay. So Claudio Guarnieri and Donka Carroll. Carroll is yeah. good enough for his unpronounceable Irish surname, I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Claudio and Donka are showing up throughout this book. These two completely dedicated researchers within Amnesty International who are basically... The two of them are taking on all of the cyber warfare engineers within NSO Group and trying to figure out how do they do it? How do they create these so-called zero-day exploits to infiltrate an iPhone? And by the way, you're not getting any help from Apple either because they don't want to go public with their own vulnerabilities. They'll, they'll issue a patch quietly when something comes out, but they're not exactly coming out to help. So it's you, you and your team... <laughs> taking on NSO group and every authoritarian in the world. <laughs> yeah, and, and we and we became quite paranoid uh, during that investigation. I, I mean, we, we really knew that we were going to bother authoritarian regimes <laughs> and bad people, uh, to be clear, and a very sophisticated cyber surveillance company. So yeah, we had to be smart. We had to find ways of I mean, the first thing was was how to communicate because th this was the main issue. How do you communicate with people all around the world without using a phone? I mean, <laughs> we managed to do it. We 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 can not uh, say much about the protocol we were using, but this was the main challenge. And Donka and Claudio were key people. I mean, those people have been working on on NSO and on Pegasus for years. They're from Amnesty International Security mm -hmm. Lab team, and they have started focusing on Pegasus more than five years ago, and they were the first people to try to analyze phones with Citizen Labs, find evidence or find traces linking a, a phone or traces to, to NSO attacks. And then from a phone to another, they're starting building a, a methodology. And this is how they created a platform, a very elaborated platform once we started to work that was helping us analyzing and even remotely the content of a phone and be able to immediately find traces of Pegasus. And that was really critical in our investigation because we only had that list, as you say, list of phone numbers, but we didn't have, we didn't have evidence that the phone had been hacked with Pegasus. And before publishing, we needed to get the evidence. This was crucial. And... I mean, it had never been done on that scale. So we needed to start contacting people, convincing them to share the content on the phone and then have the phone analyzed. And at the beginning, we were not sure of what we were going to find. We had a phone analyzed, a second one, a third one. And whenever we, we were able to have a phone, a smartphone analyzed, we were finding traces of Pegasus. So, so that made us very, very sure, very, uh, uh, yeah, very solid about what we had in our hands. And this is how we did the investigation, uh, and, and it lasted uh, for, a few, uh, for a few months. And we're back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst. I'm your host. We're halfway through my interview with Sandrine Rigaud, editor-in-chief of Forbidden Stories and co-author of the new book, Pegasus, How a Spy in Your Pocket Threatens the End of Privacy, Dignity, and Democracy. If you'd like to join in the live listener chat, go to wfmu.org and click playlist and comments. Let's keep going, shall we? Let's listen to the second half of my interview with Sandrine Rigaud here on Tectonic on WFMU. Well, now that we've established how you did the research, in many cases, getting the phone physically in person or having a researcher at least in person to run an analysis on the phone with the uh, process that Claudio and Donka came up with from, from Amnesty International, we can jump to the end of the research as you were establishing absolutely that many of these phones that you had access to were in fact infected by Pegasus. Let me read a little bit from the book. This is late in the research process. 
you and Laurent Wright, people in the data we had identified. The sitting presidents of France and Mexico, the prime minister of Pakistan, the former prime minister of Belgium, Emirati princesses, the inner circle of the Dalai Lama, opposition politicians in supposedly democratic nations of India, Mexico, and Hungary, human rights activists and lawyers from around the world, journalists by the hundreds, some of them now in prison or assassinated. It gives a sense that Pegasus, what I took away from this, was Pegasus was being used to spy on heads of state, influential business people, and people interested in human rights, that is, journalists, attorneys, and activists. And of all of those, probably proportionally, the group that was most targeted were the ones interested in human rights. And when the story started to come out, NSO group in Israel, their position throughout was, oh, no, no, our tool is only used by the good guys to find the bad guys. We have no interest in our tool being used to spy on human rights activists. But that simply wasn't the case, was it? Yeah, indeed. I mean, NSO from the beginning, NSO, so the, the, the two founders of NSO, two main founders, Omri Lavi and Chalev Ulyo, have been explaining that their tool is extremely important to fight against terrorists, criminal activities, pedophiles, drug traffickers. And they're explaining that they only sell their tool to governments, uh, which is probably true, but then you have to check the list of governments to understand that, yeah, it might end up in the wrong hands. And they also explain that they need a license from the Israeli Minister of Defense to, to send their spyware. So it's a company that, uh, that respects the rules of Israel and that still sells this very invasive, dangerous spyware to authoritarian regime that are known for human rights abuses, that are known for even killing journalists. I mean, just think of uh, Jamal Khashoggi in, in Saudi Arabia. And they're still explaining that even after our publication, what they're doing is right. And uh, that um, they're doing that for the good of everybody. But clearly this, is, this was so different than what we were seeing with our investigation. I mean, what we saw is that uh, I mean, journalists in many countries were a systematic target of Pegasus uh, in Azerbaijan, in Morocco, in Bahrain, in uh, Saudi Arabia. People who are fighting for the good, people who are denouncing corruption, those are the targets of Pegasus. And imagine what you can do, how you can blackmail somebody when you have access to all what he has in his phone. I mean, the aim is clearly to silence those people those people fighting for democracy. And this is why we, we chose this subtitle for the book as well, because it's a, it's a big threat against democracy. The subtitle is How a Spy in Your Pocket Threatens the End of Privacy, Dignity, and Democracy. And I thought one of the best examples of that threat to democracy came in the story that you tell in the book about the killing of Jamal Khashoggi that you just mentioned. Many Americans and wherever they're based, many tectonic listeners will know that name, the Saudi Arabian journalist who was assassinated in 2018 in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, Turkey. What listeners may not know is that Pegasus, the spyware system we're talking about, was involved in his killing. Is that right? At least people around him had been spied on or hacked with Pegasus before and after his killing. So his wife's smartphone in particular, right? Yeah, we I mean this was not totally new because uh, Citizen Lab had already made a report on a very close friend of Jamal Khashoggi called Omar Abdulaziz who is living in Canada and they had already published a report explaining that Omar had been spied on with Pegasus and that I mean the conclusion of that was that the information from Omar phone could have been used for the killing of, of Jamal. So the, the name of Jamal had already been associated with NSO and Pegasus. The thing is that, and this is important, Shalev Ulio, so the, 
the CEO of NSO always explained that this was wrong and that they had they made their own investigation and that Pegasus had never been used against Jamal Khashoggi or against his relatives or his friends. So this was the official lines and um, position. And he, he was adamant about it. Never, ever, ever, ever. You have this yeah, quote in there. Yeah, and he said it on 60 Minutes. I mean, in, in, in the U.S. and uh, we, we have the recording and, and this was a very firm position. What our investigation showed is that not only Pegasus had been used against Omar Abdulaziz, but many other relatives of Jamal Khashoggi had been targeted. We were able to prove that his wife had been hacked before his killing. His fiance, because he had a complicated personal life, <laughs> had been hacked after his killing. We knew that his lawyer had been targeted. We knew that even his son was in the list of phone numbers we had. So clearly, we were able to prove that Pegasus may have been used in a way before the killing of Jamal, I don't know, perhaps to geolocate him. We don't have that information, but we know that close relatives of Jamal had been hacked. And we also were then conscious of the huge lie Shalev Olio was ready to give to everybody, even on 60 Minutes. Uh, so yeah, this was an important finding of our investigation. So you broke the story working with The Guardian and many other news sources around the world. And it was a huge success, as far as I can tell from your recounting of it in the book. I think you and Laurent are, are being modest. You don't want to boast too much about the success of the project. But it, reading between the lines, it seems to me that the Pegasus Project was an absolute success. You were able to prove that Pegasus had infected many of the phones associated with the phone numbers on that original list. You were able to establish that governments were misusing this tool and collaborating with your team of journalists and publications around the world, you were able to synchronize the release of this story, which itself was, was a huge success, that everybody waited until the right moment to break the story uh, in their local news market. Is that what you concluded, that this was a success when the story launched? Uh, it's, it's not, I mean, it's not our, it's, it's difficult for us. We've been so involved in that investigation. I think people can comment and decide. What, what I'm sure of is that it was already a miracle to be able to publish. I mean, my job was to coordinate that, make sure that uh, nobody was leaking, that everybody was respecting the rule, that the source would not talk before, that people were all on the same line, and all this without using a phone, so with very sophisticated way of communicating. So this was at least a great challenge as an investigative journalist, as a coordinator. It was it, really, it was a miracle to, to be able to publish. And clearly it created a conversation. I mean, people who haven't never heard of Pegasus have at some point read stories on Pegasus after that project because, because it was published in, in different countries. It concerned everybody. It was, you knew names of people who had been potentially targeted like Emmanuel Macron in, in France. It's really, it was really a, a big thing, for example, and in, in other countries. So people realized, I think, how vulnerable we were all. There were an inquiry launched by the European Commission as well, discussions about how to regulate that market. Uh, I think tech companies also reacted very strongly. Apple decided to sue NSO, and then Apple had created this, I don't know um, if you use it, but a specific lockdown mode so uh, to protect your phone in a better way. So the tech companies understood that also the, the, their reputation was at stake at some point and they had to react. So clearly, uh, I think people are much more informed about cyber surveillance and, and those tools after our publication. I'm not sure that people are best protected now, to be honest. I'm still very careful about who I speak to on the phone, where my phone is, the information I put in my phone. So I don't feel more secure 
now with the phone uh, with me than before the Pegasus project. That's interesting. After all of this and bringing to light this major series of hacks and infections of, of phones all over the world and publicizing that to the world, we are not in a safer place, which I agree with. Let's first talk about what happened to NSO Group. NSO got sued by Apple. It was blacklisted by the U.S., you're right. Uh, got in all sorts of trouble because it was it was bringing bad PR to everyone. And that's that's the worst sin that you can commit in the tech industry is to bring bad PR to a, a $2 trillion company. They really don't like that. And so they took some action and they patched some of the bugs, the zero-day exploits that they had discovered because of your research. And then NSO Group just withered. They were sold to a hedge fund that itself then collapsed. And are they even still in business now, NSO Group? Yeah, they're, they're in business. Clearly, the business is not going as well as it used to be, but they're still in business, yeah. And they wanted to refocus on drones. I don't know. Uh, and they're still selling their spyware to, uh, to some countries. I mean, they're not transparent. They're not more transparent now than before. But even if NSO had collapsed, I mean, the problem is that you have other companies, other competitors ready to take the share of the markets. And we we, we discussed with a company selling spywares quite similar to 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 what NSO was selling, and and the the boss of that company made it very clear that he had amazing proposals from very complicated. Uh, countries and that yeah i mean if you want to make money this is a good business and you <laughs> i'm just going from memory but if i remember correctly that boss of that cybersecurity firm told you and Laurent that he had been contacted by the saudi government and had been offered 200 million dollars if they would give up some of their knowledge of zero day exploits in other words the knowledge necessary to build more spyware to infect iPhones and Androids. And he claims, this is all his claim, a $200 million offer, he turned it down. But that's yeah, the kind of... <laughs> he, he, I mean, we had this discussion and he was explaining how, how ethical he was and, and how, uh, how bad NSO was. Uh, and, and this might be true, of course, but I mean, there the, are probably very, very few uh, ethical people in that business. So, I mean, who who would decline a $200 million offer? $200 million. I mean, I can think of what happens in the U.S. when you have, let's say, a small peninsula in Northern California full of people who are being offered millions, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to do unethical things. How many of them turn it down? I haven't seen too many people out there turn down those offers. And so this is why we're left in this situation now where you and I don't feel any safer even after NSO Group was caught and blacklisted and so on. I think the enduring value of this book, one of the enduring values of this book, is that it exposes the level of unsecure technology that we are all using every day. This is not a story of how we slayed the dragon and everything is fine now. Instead, it's, this is a warning that, okay, we, we got rid of NSO Group, but that wasn't really the, the problem. The problem is that there are people all over the world who are working on these exploits. I thought Laurent, in the epilogue he wrote, put it well. He said, NSO might be crippled, but the technology it engineered is not. The cyber surveillance industry still operates without any real guardrails. Uh, where do we go from here, Sandrine? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm only a journalist. <laughs> uh, I only ask questions. No, I mean, this is really a complicated question because how do you regulate a market like that? Clearly, the problem is that citizens don't have any... I mean, this is a totally unbalanced situation where, where as citizens, we don't have uh, the tools, we don't have the knowledge, we don't have the means to protect ourselves. So everybody, I mean, even a head of state, even Emmanuel Macron uh, can be hacked. So how do you, I mean, how, how does a, a citizen like me, like you, protect himself against those kind of tools? Well, this is what I always tell my listeners here. I'm holding up my iPhone. Listeners can't see this. 
there's a very, very easy hack that I came up with. We, we live in Manhattan. We have the Hudson River very close to us. You go to the edge of the river and you throw it as far as you can into the river and then you walk away. This is all metaphorical, friends. You can also take it to an e-waste dump. Of course, I'm, I'm kidding, but this book raises a question in my mind. This is the story of how you and researchers and journalists broke the story of Pegasus. And in the wake of that, now we have authoritarian governments with billions of dollars to spend saying, I want spyware for our authoritarian regime. And there are who knows how many, dozens, hundreds, I don't know, of teams out there building their own versions of, of Pegasus called different things, ready to infect the phones of people who speak out in favor of truth and democracy. And you say at some point in this book, we're in a new era where the state, there's an asymmetry of power between the state and the citizens. And the reason for that is these little surveillance devices that we all carry around. And I don't know what the answer is, Sandrine, because try being a citizen in France or the U.S. or Canada, wherever, and say, I'm never going to use one of these ever again. Um, which, by the way, they could then target your friends and family instead. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, we don't have the answer, but just be careful. I mean, of what you share, uh, just be careful of, of what you share. And I think that in, in that specific situation with Pegasus, because it's still a very expensive tool, I mean, people who are people who are targeted are, are people who are fighting for for freedom, for uh, uh, democracies in complicated regimes. So those are people who are already threatened in different ways, who have been jailed. And, and at some point, those people thought that they could be they could feel safe using Signal or WhatsApp or Telegram, and this was not the case. So, yeah, it's um, it's I don't know how to conclude that, but be be careful and be aware that this can be a, a weapon used against you, and uh, a spy in the pocket, as as we put it in the title. Well, I do. I like to end on a positive note, and there is something very positive in this book, which is that your team of courageous, persistent, and creative researchers and journalists came together and you slew the dragon that was called NSO. The good guys and gals won. And like you said, it was miraculous, but you did it. And there is hope if we can work together in the future. There is hope for us to resist and even defeat some of these forces. So thank you for doing what you did, Sandrine. Pass my thanks along to Laurent and Claudio and Donka and the whole team there. The book is called Pegasus, How a Spy in Your Pocket Threatens the End of Privacy, Dignity, and Democracy. Sandrine Rigaud, thanks so much for being on Tectonic. Thank you so much for having me. just tuning in you're listening to tectonic on wfmu my name is mark hurst i'll be your host for the remaining eight minutes and change and then the great dave mandel takes over studio a for it's complicated his prog rock show i hope you will stay tuned for the great dave mandel we just heard my interview with sandrine rigaud co-author of the book Pegasus, How a Spy in Your Pocket Threatens the End of Privacy, Dignity, and Democracy, co-written with Laurent, Laurent Richard. Sandrine, as you heard, is editor-in-chief of Forbidden Stories, which is an online media site at ForbiddenStories.org, which covers stories by journalists who have been threatened thrown in prison, or even assassinated for pursuing the truth of the story that they're covering. 
And as Sundreen says at the beginning of the interview we just heard, the local government can take out that one journalist, either put them in prison or kill them, but they're unlikely to come after a collaborative team uh, formed by Forbidden Stories. So they're doing great, great work at Forbidden Stories. And this, as you heard, this book, Pegasus, uh, came out of one of their projects called the Pegasus Project, which, uh, which determined that phones of human rights activists and others, all the way up to heads of state, were being infected by this spyware uh, by by governments and government's partners around the world, and they were able to prove the infections. Uh, there was a question on the comment board: Do they get? Does the book get into the actual technology? And the answer is yes. Um, it does not get too deep in the technology that makes it inaccessible. I mean, they're of course they're taking a high-level approach to describe how they uh, detected traces of Pegasus to really prove the case, but it's in there. And I give a lot of credit to Claudio and Donka from Amnesty International for being able to do that. I mean, in some cases, we didn't get into this in the interview, but the late in the game, uh, they're getting close to publication date. And uh, it, it, it appears that NSO Group may have heard that this investigation is going on and so while they are, while the researchers, the good guys, are uh, running their analysis on these iPhones, it, they're aware that NSO Group could be spying on them as they, are try, as they themselves are trying to detect the spyware in the phone. It's a cat and mouse game that in some cases turned into a, a, a real-time um, battle of sorts to see who was going to gain the upper hand. It's a, it's a really interesting story. Again, the book is called Pegasus. The link is on the playlist at WFMU.org and will be soon on tectonic.fm, T-E-C-H tonic.fm. Uh, as, I mean, the conclusion, <laughs> as Sandrine said, be careful. Be careful what you post. Be careful what you have on your phone. Be careful what you share. Be careful who you talk to. Um, some people may say, well, I don't, I don't have anything to hide. Well, that's just not, that's not a good long-term strategy for us in this country or any country to say, well, I'm not doing anything that the government right now doesn't like, so why should I care? I'm not saying anyone said that on the comment board, but I'm just saying out there in public, you hear this response sometimes. Why should I care? I'm not doing anything wrong because just look at what's happening to good people in other places and the trajectory of this thing is that it's coming for you. It's coming for you and your family. And, and the government right now may, may not be pursuing you or your community, but you can be sure that it's, it's going to pursue other communities. And the trajectory is it's going to be rolling forward. This surveillance machine is rolling forward inexorably. Uh, and, and it takes massive, miraculous efforts on the parts of journalists like Forbidden Stories and the worldwide team they put together. It takes massive efforts to resist this. And that increasingly is our hope that we can mount some kind of resisting response to this, this, this massive overreach of surveillance technology. If we could get away with throwing our phones in the river, I would say, let's do it. I know that it's difficult in this society where so many of the services and aspects of life and work uh, and society are being given over to these surveillance devices. It's tough to opt out. Uh, I'm going to have to cover that, follow that thought in a, in a future uh, episode. But I just want to remind you that I'm going to be out the next two weeks. Next week, uh, we're, we're, it's going to be a great guest hosting spot. Uh, by Roger, who hosts Double Dip Recess, Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 12 noon, our kids' show on Saturdays. He's going to be guest hosting Tectonic in a week. And then a week after that, station manager Ken returns. He has always done a great job as guest host. So thank you both to Roger and Ken for guest hosting. And uh, you, if you tune in, and I hope you will, you're going to be continuing to listen to the greatest radio station in the world, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County at 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. 
Until I get back, friends, I give you some homework for the next three weeks. Avoid Apple. Abandon Amazon. Forget Facebook. And whatever you do, get off Google. And please stay tuned for the great Dave Mandel with It's Complicated. See you soon, friends. Yeah, that's the way we start it. Good evening. Welcome to another episode of It's Complicated. I'm Dave Mandel, your host. I'm here every Monday evening between the hours of 7 and 8 p.m. following the great Mark Hurst and Tectonic. Thanks for joining me. I have a fantastic program for you tonight. No, really, this time, this time, I, I, this time I really mean it. We're going to start with a couple of... Greenslade-related tracks. Greenslade was a band, a UK-based group, and also the name, well, the eponymous uh, band Greenslade was was named after its leader, Dave Greenslade, was a keyboard player. So we're going to hear something from the band Greenslade from 1973 from an album called Bedside Manners Are Extra. I believe that's what I have queued up here. And then after that, we're going to hear something from Dave himself, something from one of Dave Greenslade's own solo albums from a few years later, 1976. And I think that's really all the introduction you need. So here we have Greenslade the band and Greenslade the person. Help me find the way I'll whip right out and get the things you need And let the devil pay
Jump out too far.